Psalm 51. All right. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Our Father, we do bring ourselves to You now before Your Word as people have been doing for thousands of years. And we are convinced this morning that the Word that sits in our laps and lies before us on the pulpit is not other than Your holy and inerrant and inspired Word that what we mean by all of that simply is, Lord, that when we read these words, we are reading the voice of God. And so where it's binding on our lives, Lord, and calls us to decisions, pray that You'd help us to be obedient to that. Where it calls us to be honest before You, I pray that You'd help us to be honest. Where it lays open encouragement and grace and mercy and strength, I pray that You would help us to receive that. Lord, I pray that my life and all of the lives of the people in this room would bow in submission to the Word. For in so much that we do that, we are bowing to the very voice of God. I pray that You would help us today. For it's in the name of Jesus we do pray these things. Amen. Uh, psalm 51 is uh, just a wonderful and a beautiful psalm. As I said earlier uh, this morning when we first started, uh, this is the second Sunday of Lent. And upon this Sunday, if you were to read the prayer, it begins, O oh God, whose glory it is to always have mercy, or whose glory it is to always extend mercy. Uh, we have sinned. We have failed. Would you restore the repentant heart? And for those that have faith in Christ, would you help us to walk the straight and narrow, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And when we come to a beautiful text like this, I think that it's important for us to remember that God wants to encourage us as we come before Him. Uh, you know, really this text is all about forgiveness and cleansing. You read it, and we'll talk through some of the verses today, but really it's about finding our cleansing and being washed. In fact, this week I was just thinking about, uh, you know, it's kind of like doing the wash at your house. Uh, some years ago, Kelly Murray uh, was a member of our church here. Uh, she passed away, I think, a year and a half ago, uh, 95 years old. And Miss Kelly Murray used to stand out here in the foyer, and she'd wait for Connie to come by, and then she'd give me a big kiss on my collar and leave lipstick stain on my collar. And, uh, of course, Connie was okay with a 95-year-old lady giving me a kiss on the collar. But oftentimes we go home at the end of the night and uh, on a Sunday evening, and I take that shirt off, and Connie would say, you got to put the spray on that. Now, I don't know what you call it in your house, but we have the spray. And y'all have the spray too? You know, spray and wash, whatever it is. There's some kind of thing up there. You put the spray on it, you rub it together, and then you put it in the wash. And, and of course, like a good husband, many times I would just take my shirt off and wad it up and throw it in the, uh, in the hamper and keep on going. I wouldn't put the spray on there. Sometimes I would just throw it in the wash and, and uh, wash it without the spray. And then I, as like a, like a good guy, I'd throw it all into the dryer. And Connie would tell me, you know, if that goes into the dryer without the stain coming out, all you're going to do is set the stain. And I've got every woman in the house going, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are some stains that are just tough to get out. Spaghetti's tough to get out. 
Wine's tough to get out, I've been told. <laughs> I've been told. When we come to the text here and we think about what's behind this text, I want you to know that it's far more than just something uh, simple, uh, a kiss stain from a 95-year-old lady or spilling spaghetti upon your clothes or certainly would never have a Southern Baptist that would drink a glass of wine, but if you did, spilling it, there is no, there, there's nothing like that. No, what's behind this text is King David himself, who was a man after God's own heart, and yet what this text is being written about is when King David himself sinned the sin of adultery, and fornication with Bathsheba, he looked longingly day after day after day after day. He was unfaithful to the covenant before God and in his marriage. He went after this woman and committed adultery. And then if that wasn't enough, King David in this passage, what is being written about is his sin with Bathsheba and then he himself is guilty of first degree murder. Premeditated murder. Did you know that? Adultery and murder. And when we read a text like this, we've got to come as Christians and as believers and we are smack, I mean, right into the face. We have to ask ourselves, does the Christianity that I have and that you have, does it offer a place for forgiveness that people that are adulterers and murderers, does your Christianity make room for forgiveness and grace and the washing and cleansing of life? I didn't say that life doesn't have its consequences, but what I'm asking is, do you believe that Jesus Christ, do you believe that God all offers the kind of forgiveness that would cleanse and wash free a man who had committed adultery and first-degree murder. Let me bring it to our level. Do you believe that there's any room for forgiveness in God's economy for a teenager that starts texting while they're driving and swerves into an oncoming lane and kills a family of three? Is there any forgiveness that's left for them? Is there any forgiveness for a father that tries the best that he can but spends the majority part of his life at work and neglects his children to the point when they grow up they're angry at him? Is there any forgiveness there? What about this week in the news? Is there any forgiveness for a lady who does 95 and a 45 and swerves into oncoming traffic and kills a man's wife? Let me bring it a little farther home because some of you are saying, I've never murdered and I've never committed adultery and I've never swerved into oncoming traffic. I've never done those things. But Jesus has an interesting way of bringing out the Old Testament. David, who is guilty, I mean cold guilty, of adultery and murder. Jesus said, if you look on a woman to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart, it's as good as if you've murdered somebody. Is there any forgiveness for the people that are in this room today, yours truly included, that have had bad thoughts this week? That have had anger and malice and strife and unforgiveness and bitterness and meanness? 
Is there any forgiveness? Listen, you may never murder anybody. You may not have committed adultery. You may be a pretty good, good, good person in your own eyes. But you know, if all of us just take away all of the sheen off of our life and be real honest for a moment, every one of us in this room, believer and sinner alike, believer and lost alike, you have habitual sins that you do and you know they're wrong, don't you? You know the ones that you ask for forgiveness for and then you do it again the next day? and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and you hurt your life, and you hurt your family, and you hurt the heart of God, I want to ask you, is there any forgiveness? And is there any grace? And is there any mercy for you? I think that this text today reaches everybody in this room and says, there is forgiveness. There is cleansing. There is a way to have my sins and your sins soaked in the economy of God, soaked in the grace and the mercy of God, and it comes out clean when God is the one that does the cleansing. And so I want to offer every person in this room, I want to offer all of you today this encouragement that God loves you and that God cares for you. And if you'll come His way, the way that the text sets out for us today, if you'll come to Him based upon the way that He says in this text for you to come to Him, that God will cleanse your life and help you and love you and restore you. I want you to walk away from here today knowing that you can be clean in the eyes of God no matter what's hiding in your closet, no matter what you're so guilty of, all of those little things that are in the back of your mind as I speak, and you wish to God that no human being would ever find out or ever know about, God knows about and God will clean, cleanse you of them. If you'll follow the pattern in this text today. Follow along with me if you would. Verse number 1 and 2, here's the very first thing that we've got to do. We've got to cry out to God all right? Now that might not be where you start. In fact, you might have said, hey, I should start with heart honesty and we'll get there. But it's like when you put your clothes into the washer and there's all these different settings and I never know which one to put it on. But in God's way, the very first setting that you've got to put it on to find any kind of real redemption and cleansing is a heart cry to God for help. When you get to that point in your life where all you can say is, Help God, I need you. Look what he says three times in verse 1 and 2. Three different words, iniquity and sins and transgressions. Don't make too much of, the, of trying to nuance all three of those different words. All he is saying is, I have heaps of sin and shame in my life and the only way I'm ever going to find help is not some self-help scheme, not to have better esteem, not to be a better person, but to fall on my knees and to fall out in my heart and say, God, only you can help. God, only you can do what is needed to be done here. And look what he says there in verse number 1. He says, hey, listen, God, be gracious to me according to your loving kindness. Do you see that in the text? According to your loving kindness. There's two things that you need to know about there. The graciousness of God, the cleansing of God, the washing of God. He is saying these two things. First of all, I want you to cleanse me at the same ratio of your holiness and your loving kindness. So no matter how dark and deep and wicked my stains are, as high and holy and good as God is, that's how clean I want you to make me, Lord. 
And what else does he say? He says, be gracious to me according, in this manner, according to your loving kindness. The Hebrew word there, you can press all your friends tomorrow at the water cooler, is chesed. You like that? All it means is God's covenant faithfulness. Be gracious to me, cleanse me, wash me, make me whole according to your loving kindness, according to your covenant faithfulness. Do you see the irony? David is the one who here has broken his covenant. He's the one that's committed adultery. He's the one that's murdered. God had said, I'm going to bring a king from your line. I'm going to give to you. I'm going to put grace in your life. I'm going to make you a child of the king. And what does David do? He sends his life away. And now when he asks for forgiveness and grace, what does he do? Not based upon his own covenant loyalness. Based upon the loyal, covenant, gracious love of God who is never unfaithful to you who will never commit adultery on you, who will never leave you hung out to dry, who will always and forever love you. For those of my friends in here that are like me, got a little bit of ADD going on, let me tell you a great practice in your life. Not right now, okay? Sometime this week, force yourself to read Psalm 136 completely. And every time your mind starts to bounce to something else, just go back and start again. Read Psalm 136. You know what it does? Over 20 times, every verse, almost every verse in Psalm 136 ends this way. Um, The mercy of the Lord endures forever. Or your loving kindness endures forever. And so for people that have a kind of a mind that bounces around, by the time you get to verse 5 or 6 or 7, you're like, God, I got it. Right? Ditto. Okay, you could have just said it once and then times 20. Why do you think God puts a psalm in the Bible that says more than 20 times, my loving kindness endures forever? Because God wants every person in this room to know that though you fall and though you sin and though you have mammoth problems and stains on your soul, God will always, always be faithful to you. You want to find cleansing? You want to be made whole? You want to have your sins washed away? Begin with God, not with you. Hey, this might be a word of encouragement for some of you in here. Haven't you ever had those times in your life where you've done so many things wrong at one time, God's the only one who will forgive you? Man, you, you, you've messed things up in your life so many times that all you could do is crawl in some corner somewhere and say, man, nobody else believes me. Nobody else will forgive me. i got to get it from you. I'm telling you that God will meet you there if you'll go to Him first. You want to be clean? Cry out with a gut-wrenching, Heart seriousness cry to God for help. Here's the second cycle on the washing machine. Look at verse 3 to 5. First, you cry out to God. Second, you take a long, hard look in the mirror. Now, I'm sure for many of you, you're thinking it's not hard for me to look in the mirror when you look this handsome. 
You know, you think, man, I look pretty good. But I'm talking about that spiritual mirror of the Scripture and that spiritual mirror of knowing who you really are. Here's what I mean. The second stage is be honest with God and be honest with yourself. Look what he says here. He says, my sin is ever before me. One translation reads this way. My sin is staring me in the face. You have to come to the point in your life, listen, when you're taking that long, hard look into the mirror, that second stage is to be honest with yourself and honest with God. And to be that way, you've got to have a sensitivity toward your own sin. How many of us have a sensitivity toward everybody else's sin, but not ours? What did the Apostle Paul say at the very end of his life? The Apostle Paul says, I am chief among sinners. I am the worst sinner. And you're thinking, no, you're not. But in Paul's heart, he knew who he was. And there was this deep sensitivity to this sin of his own life. And, the, uh, the, and David says here in this psalm, he says, my sin is ever before me and night and day it's with me. Do you have a sensitivity to the sin of your life? You know, Jesus sometimes had a sense of humor. He'd say, listen, why don't you pull the log out of your own eye before you get the sawdust out of somebody else's? Do you have a sensitivity? Do you plead with God? Now, I, a lot of times when I'm working with uh, younger pastors and uh, guys in the seminary that are coming along, I, one of the most important things you can ever have is to develop this heart sensitivity to your own wickedness, to your own sin, to your own shortcomings. be good for all of us to be honest by having a sensitivity towards sin. And then look what else it says here. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Not only do you have to have a sensitivity of sin, but you've got to actually know who it is you've really sinned against. Now don't use this text here. Against you and you only have I sinned. I've heard people say before, well, I haven't sinned against others. I've just sinned against God. No, that's stupid, All right, You have sinned against other people. And that's not what this text is teaching. When you do somebody wrong... You apologize to them. But what this text is teaching is that you go beyond the surface and you understand when he says against you and you only have I sinned, it's an affirmation to say that when you sin against other people, you are sinning against God because they are created in the image of God. And when you do somebody wrong, you're doing God wrong. So let me make a couple applications that won't be good for all of us. But when you disobey and smart off and talk back to your parents and roll your eyes, you are doing that to God. When you don't listen to your children and find out what's going on, but you just treat them like you were treated when you were a kid, you're sinning against God because your child was created in the image of God. Not only do you have to have a sensitivity to your sin when you're honest and know who you've sinned against, but look back down at the text, if you would, there. Let me find my place. It says, um, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And then look here at verse number 4. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Here's the, here's the third part about being honest before God. You have to be willing to accept the judgment and the just judgment of God for your sin. Let me back up and take us to the beginning of the sermon when I saw some of your minds. When I said, is there forgiveness for a teenager that texts while they're driving and kills another people, some other people in a car? Yes. Yes, there is forgiveness. But it doesn't take away the fact that there should be just consequences. And here's how you'll know 
when your heart is crying to God and when you're honest before the Lord in your own soul, when you have a sensitivity to sin, when you know who you've sinned against, and when you have a palms up, open heart and say, gee whiz, whatever judgment comes my way is just. And if you don't have that, you're not being honest with yourself and you won't receive the cleansing. I know there's tons of people that say, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm bad, I'm just as bad. They know all of the little the things that we say. I'm just, I'm terrible like everybody else. And you say, well, what about this arrogance in your life? And as soon as you point something out in their life, then the whole deal caves in, right? We all want to generalize our sinfulness until it becomes specific. And then we want to deny it and make excuses. Genuine honesty before God is when your sin is exposed and you say, yep, and whatever comes my way, as far as judgment, I'll accept. Uh, many years ago, let me see where I am. Many years ago, uh, I, was working on, I was working on a deacon board in a church and um, there was a situation with a guy who was actually coming to be on the pastoral staff and the pastoral staff and the deacons. Uh, this man had had a moral failure in his life. And so in a gracious and a kind way, uh, they began to work with this guy and deal with this guy. And uh, they were going to put him into um, uh, a place where he could get some help and do some intense discipleship and bring him along the way. And the pastoral staff had said, hey, listen, you, you cannot move into this position. And for the next three years, you need to have intense accountability and discipleship. And you're going to walk through this. We're going to walk with you. But this is what needs to happen. And the guy blew it all off and went his own way. You know what that demonstrates? No true forgiveness, no true heart ready for the forgiveness of God. If you want God's forgiveness and cleansing, then you will have to say, you have to get to that point where you say, you know what, whatever, God, whatever judgment comes, whatever falls out, I will take. And then the last one there on as far as honesty. You see where he says, in, in sin did my mother conceive me, or I was sinful even in the womb, whatever your translation says there. Uh, what, what does that say? Well, let me be careful. That is an af affirmation of, um, of the sin nature, right? That we are born sinful people. As you heard me say a couple Wednesday nights ago, uh, none of you in here ever had to teach your child how to sin. Right? You have to teach them how to do right. They're born sinners. But don't push this illustration uh, too far. What All of this simple affirmation here is, is that sin runs deep. The sin is not a black, a black thing or a white thing. It is not all of these. Sin runs right down. It has no exception. Sin runs right down through the heart of every single human being. And every person in this room and around the world is deep, deep in sin. I was thinking this week, I just could not get that point out of my mind. And I started uh, singing that song, that, that line that says, uh, Sin runs deep. Your grace is more. Isn't that what the New Testament says in the book of Romans? Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. You want the cleansing and the washing and the renewing of God? You have to come to God with a heart cry to Him for help. And you have to take a long, hard look in the mirror and be honest with yourself 
and be ready to accept what God gives you. Here's the third stage. Be patient while God washes you. Be patient while God washes you. In the next several verses, verse 6, uh, verse, actually verse 6 down all the way to verse number 13, you'll find that God has a seven stages in His cycles of watching. For the verse verse says there that uh, it says God requires truth in the inward part. And that is not only just saying that God wants all of us to be honest. What it's genuinely saying is God wants us to be genuinely honest kind of people. And he says for those who have the truth on the inward part, I give my wisdom. And then the next verse says I give genuine or true forgiveness. And then he says, I'll restore joy to your life so that these broken legs can dance again for Jesus. Not only will I give you joy, but I will take away all of the blood guiltiness of your life. I will wash away all of the iniquity. I will give you clean hearts. Do you see that in the text? I will give you clean hearts. I will give you the presence of my Holy Spirit. And I will give you sustaining grace. Sometimes when we realize we've done wrong and we're looking for the mercy of God, we want to take what we've done, sweep it under the rug, put it back down and ask as if it's not, act as if it's not happened. Where what I think God wants us to do is to be patient in the cycle of His washing. Can you do that? Right now where you are, in those things that you know you failed God on, are you willing to come to Him and cry out to Him? Are you willing to face it honestly? And are you willing to put that in God's washing machine and wait for God to give you wisdom, to give you forgiveness, to give joy back to your heart, to give you a clean heart, to give His presence of the Holy Spirit, and to give you sustaining power to continue to live so that you don't make the same mistake again and again and again and again, but truly you become washed and cleansed from that. Let me make one last point we'll finish for today. Verse 14 down to the very end. When God cleans us, He wants us to show other people how to get the stain out. When God cleans us, He wants us to show other people how to get the stain out. Brothers and sisters, when God washes us and makes us right and takes away our sin, He doesn't want to hang you up in the closet like some clean shirt or, you know, like when you go to a wedding, maybe you've been, a, you ever had like, got like a tux or uh, ladies, you ever been like a bridesmaid or whatever and you have that dress and you wear it one time and then there's like 17 of them hanging in your closet somewhere. You never wear them. Yeah, I see all the laugh, right? You never wear them again. You got that tux and you just wear it at a funeral or you wear it at a, at a wedding and you never wear it again. That's not the way that God wants us to be. God washes us and cleanses us and makes us whole and gives us redemption. Why? So that we can put on our everyday go-to-work kind of clothes and we can show the people around us how we found redemption and how we found cleansing and how we had our guilt washed away. God wants us to do that. What does it say in those verses? It says, wash me and cleanse me and I'll open my mouth and sing of your great blessing. Wash me and cleanse me and I will turn transgressors to Jesus. And what's he say later on in those verses? 
God doesn't look for a sacrifice. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a broken and a contrite spirit. How do we show the rest of the world what Jesus does in humility? God help us from a generation of Christians that are so smug and arrogant that we think we've got a leg up on every other lost person in the world. Man, every time we meet people that are struggling, there ought to be a brokenness inside of us that comes alongside of people that are hurting and weak and wounded and sinful and says, my dear friend, I know what it is to be where you are. And there's a place that you can find redemption. There's a person that you can come to to be cleansed. You notice that last couple of verses? It took me all week to kind of think through those last verses. He talks about Mount Zion and really he's talking about the Jews there in Jerusalem and he's praying for them and the restoration of this sacrificial system. And I was like, you know, that just doesn't seem to fit with the rest of this personal cleansing chapter until I realized, ah... When God really cleanses people, we'll want everybody else in our community of believers to have the same, won't we? And we'll want to be like our Lord and extend that same kind of grace and forgiveness to them. Let me just put it this way and we'll finish. You come all the way to the New Testament as we've been studying through the book of Revelation. How many times does it say this? That they were washed and given white robes through the blood of the Lamb. That doesn't really make sense, does it? You, you can't wash something in blood. Tide doesn't make a blood-flavored detergent. You can't wash something in blood and come out white unless you're talking about the blood sacrifice of the innocent Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. What's this author trying to teach us in this text? That this week, brothers and sisters, if you come to God on His terms, crying out to Him, being honest in your soul, waiting patiently for Him to work in you, seeking to tell the rest of the world what He and He alone has done in humility, God will wash you and cleanse you from any and everything that you have possibly done. And some people say to me, Pastor Steve, I could never forgive myself. The essence of that statement is pride. Because if God is willing to forgive you, who are you to stand in His way? God wants to forgive you. And this is the way to be made right. Won't you agree with me today that somewhere, somehow, we mess up, we sin, we do wrong? When's the last time you really just took a couple of minutes to confess that stuff and lay it before God and receive what He has done for you. I think maybe now is a good opportunity for us to just pray together. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me?
in just a moment. We'll stand and sing a bit of a song together. And as always, these altars down here are open if you want to come and pray. Maybe there's, maybe there's just a time in your life where you just need to say, hey, you know what? Let me just talk with Jesus for a few minutes. I, I want to make that open to you. Nobody's going to bother you. Right there where you are. Life is so busy. This is an opportunity just to say, hey, Lord, this is an area, this is a slice of my life that isn't right and I need it to be right. And I want to extend to you today that if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're, you're not a believer. Oh, dear friend, along with every other person in this room who is, we implore you, we, we, we come to you, we ask you, go to Jesus. Tell Him your sins and ask Him to forgive you. And He will.